I wanted to ask you a question and get you thinking about some things, like I think that's our goal all the way around anyway, is um, have you ever seen anything, heard anything, watched something on TV that just, just blew your mind and you thought, wow. Um, I want to give you some examples of this um, that took place in some over time and some in a very short period of time. Um, again, whether you're uh, for him, against him, or somewhere in the middle, um, I think Donald Trump was a great example of just an amazing situation. Uh, raise your hand if a year and a half ago you thought he was going to be the next president of the United States. Okay, we got one, two. Thank you, Robbie. Robbie was sure about it. That's good to know. <laughs> So my point being is, you know, strange things happen. And what happened between then and now was you heard a lot of people on TV laughing about him. Uh, I remember Ann Coulter being asked on one of the more liberal channels with a panel, who do you think is the best candidate for the Republican Party? And she said his name, and you would have thought it was the greatest joke of all time. She sat there deadpan, straight looking right at him, and everybody else was laughing, the audience and everyone. And you've seen that over and over over the course of time. So the man got knocked down, knocked down, knocked down, knocked down, but he kept fighting. He kept fighting. And if you didn't stay up for the results and you got up that next morning, there was a phrase, there's a lot of people in this country, I think, said, you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me. The polls were wrong. Everything was wrong. And there were reasons for it, and we can see it now. But at the time, you're saying, you got to be kidding me. He won. How did this happen? Another example of that was our latest Super Bowl, Super Bowl number 51. Middle of the third quarter, you've got a team down, New England Patriots down 28-3. to And that was a pretty large deficit, one of the bigger deficits in Super Bowl history. Now, if you had turned off your TV and gone to bed, you'd say there's no chance. And I heard people I was talking to and I was watching the game with them, it's over. There's no way. There's no way. Again, if you woke up the next morning, turn on your TV, they won in overtime. They came back. You got to be kidding me. How does that happen? They were down, down, down. They'd gotten beat up. They were down. Not one score, not two score, not three scores. Four scores. Four scores down. Then you turn around and you look at a, an imaginary thing, but I, this really stuck out to me is the movie Rocky, the first one. And, uh, you know, Sylvester Stallone was Rocky Balboa, and he was just kind of a bum fighter. Works gets a chance of a lifetime to fight the champ. And he gets in there, and Apollo Creed is just this man among men. And, boy, they're going at it. And he's finding out he's got more than he thought he had in Rocky. Well, he's just pummeling, just beating the daylights out of him. And he catches him, and he hits him with about 18, it looks like about 18 shots in a row. And he goes down like a wet rag. And Creed is exhausted. He sees, you can't even see Rocky's eyes. I mean, his whole face is just a big puffball. And he's laying there, and Creed's jumping up and down. I got him, I got him, I got him. Victory, victory. He crawls over, grabs hold of that rope, pulls himself up, looks at the ref, ref, takes his gloves. He looks at him like, no, I'm not done yet. And the look physically on that man's face, he did it perfect. He just, you got to be kidding me. How is he coming back? And you start thinking about stuff like that, and that's stuff that we deal with either in our lives and sports and politics and movies, entertainment. But we can now move into situations like this that took place in the Bible. And as Smitty read for us in Jericho, 
children of Israel were asked to do something that was pretty unconventional. And I can just hear some of the comments from inside those walls. Ooh, here they come again, marching around. Ooh, they look scary. Get ready, guys. They're going to start doing something. Oh, they're still walking. You can think of all these different things. But they kept coming. And they kept doing. And they kept coming. And they did exactly what God wanted them to. And I can't imagine. It said no sound. So they didn't respond. They didn't respond to anything that was going on. That might have been the hardest thing for them. Uh, We're all human. And I'll tell you, you get tired of hearing stuff. And after six days of that, that had to be kind of difficult. But yet, on that seventh day, when everything came together, they blow the horns, the people shout. All those walls come down. There was a song by the call called The Walls Come Down uh, when I was in high school, college, right in that time. And there's a part in that song that that line's always stuck in my head, and it says they blew their horns and the walls came down. It says they stood there laughing. They're not laughing anymore. The walls came down. And that, you know, again... It's another situation of of staying the course and doing what you were supposed to do the positive way. You look at Exodus 14 with Moses. You got to believe Pharaoh and the the troops coming in were going, oh, we got him trapped now. There's a Red Sea, nowhere to go. All of a sudden, they open up. The look on his face must have been a little bit like Apollo Crete. Are you kidding me? What is going on? You go to Noah. You start thinking about that. Genesis chapter 6. How many decades upon decades upon decades did this man build something for rain, for a flood? No one knew what that was. They had no concept of what that was. Then all of a sudden it starts raining. How many times did he hear comments? How many times was he criticized? How many times was he made fun of over that period of time? But then when that started happening... What was the thought process of those people? Same thing. When you start looking uh, at the greatest situation like this of all time, we have documentation of one side in our Bibles. But there's part of this story that's never been told, and that's the part I want to talk about tonight. We talk about our Lord and Savior going to the cross. We talk about all he went through, and the devil's looking at him, and you know he's just loving it seeing him beat down, seeing him humiliated, seeing him punished physically, abused mentally, physically, every possible way he could, and eventually killed on the cross, died on the cross. What was going through Satan's mind at that time? What did he do those next three days? Was he celebrating? Was he puffed up? Did he just win a championship? How did he feel? How awesome was that for him? until that third day. And I don't know, and we don't know exactly what the look on his face was, but we can imagine. What in the world have I done? What? What's going on? He's back? We killed him. We have no idea, but we know it had to be something absolutely amazing from our end, and I think we would all pay money to see the look on his face. Because he found out he had lost when he thought he had won. A quote that I heard years and years ago from a professional athlete, and I don't know if it was his or someone else's, but he says, uh, victory does not go to the strongest, the fastest, 
or the largest, but to he who endures till the end. And I think that is so true in so many things in our lives. There's always going to be somebody more talented. There's always going to be somebody faster, bigger, whatnot. But that person that's got the heart the size of a Buick that just will not quit, it's amazing what we can accomplish. You go back to the the Rocky movies, and I can't remember. There was about 8,000 of them, I think. It was probably five or six. Um, He was talking to his son, who is now a young fighter, and he made a comment to him about, you've got it all wrong, son. He said, it's not how hard you can hit. It's how hard a hit you can take. That is what proves what kind of a man you are. And again, that stuck in my head because, again, we have to think about it. It's easy to go out and make things happen, but what happens when things happen to us? And when we look at it from Satan's standpoint, 1 Peter 5, verse 8, is talking about how he's roaming, roaming around like a lion, seeking whom he will devour. So he's constantly looking ways to bring us down. And the amazing thing about that is sometimes it's things that we've done to ourselves. It could be sin. It could be things that we've brought upon ourselves in a negative way. Um, and sin can bring on all kinds of ramifications, uh, legal, illegal, things that can ru- ruin marriages, trust, friendship. Um, obviously, sin can be very strong. But I think one of the frustrating things for us as Christians is many times we can feel that same punishment for doing what's right because we're on this planet and because this planet is not all about God. And it isn't all about following Jesus. So when you look at that, you're sitting there saying, wow, it's bad enough if you're going to get you know, punished, but now I'm doing the right thing, and I can get punished. And there's so many things that can go along with that. At this time, I'd like Jeremy to come on up, and he's going to read a poem called The Race, and then I'll continue. Whenever I start to hang my head in front of failure's face, My downward fall is broken by the memory of a race. A children's race, young boys, young men, how I remember well. Excitement, sure, but also fear. It wasn't hard to tell. They all lined up so full of hope, each thought to win the race, or to tie for first, or if not that, at least to take second place. Their parents watched from the side, or from off the side, each cheering for their son, Each boy hoped to show his folks that he would be the one. The whistle blew and off they flew like chariots of fire. To win, to be the hero there, was each young boy's desire. One boy in particular whose dad was in the crowd was running in the lead and thought, my dad will be so proud. But as he speeded down the field and crossed a shallow dip, the little boy who thought he'd win win, lost a step and slipped. Trying hard to catch himself, his arms flew every place, Amidst the laughter of the crowd, he fell flat on his face. As he fell, his hopes fell too. He couldn't win it now. Humiliated, he wished to disappear somehow. But as he, fe- <clears throat> but as he fell, his dad stood up and showed his anxious face, which to the boy so clearly said, Get up and win that race. He quickly rose, no damage done, behind a bit, that's all and ran with all his mind and might to make up for his fall. So anxious to restore himself to catch up and to win, his mind went faster than his legs. He slipped and fell again. 
He wished that he had quit before with only one disgrace. I'm hopeless as a runner now. I shouldn't try to race. But through the laughing crowd, he searched and found his father's face. With a steady look, he said again, get up and win that race. So he jumped up to try again, ten yards behind the last. If I'm to gain those yards, he thought, I've got to run real fast. Exceeding Exceeding everything he had, he regained eight, then ten. But trying hard to catch the lead, he slipped and fell again. Defeat. He lay there silently. A tear dropped from his eye. There's no sense in running anymore. Three strikes, I'm out. Why try? I've lost. What's the use, he thought. I'll live with my disgrace. But then he thought about his dad, who soon he'd have to face. Get up, an echo sounded low. You haven't lost at all. For all you have to do to win is rise each time you fall. Get up, the echo urged him on. Get up and take your place. You were not meant for failure here. Get up and win that race. So up he rose once more, refusing to forfeit. He resolved to win or lose, or at least he wouldn't quit. So far behind the others now, the most he'd ever been. Still, he gave it all he had and ran like he could win. Three times he'd fallen stumbling, three times he rose again. Too far behind to hope to win, he still still ran to the end. They cheered another boy who crossed the line to win first place. Head high and proud and happy, no falling, no disgrace. But when the fallen youngster crossed the line in last place, the crowd gave him a greater cheer for, for finishing the race. And even though he came in last with head bowed low, unproud, uh, you would have thought he'd won the race to listen to the crowd. And to his dad, he said, I didn't do so well. To me, you won, his father said. You rose each time you fell. And now when things seem dark and bleak and difficult to face, the memory of that little boy helps me in my own race. For life, for all of life is like that race with ups and downs and all. And all you have to do to win is rise each time you fall. And when depression and despair shout loudly in my face, another voice within me says, get up and win that race. Outside of our Bible, I don't know of too many things that have inspired me more or have helped me through difficult times than that poem. Um, And to be honest with you, it's hard for me to read (laughs) in front of a group, definitely. Um, But as it said, it's not how many times we fall, but it's how many times we get back up. And it's the idea that no matter what it is that we do falling-wise, if it's something that I did wrong, I know that I have a Savior that paid the price for me. If God knew that we could be perfect, we would not have needed that. And I could have taken care of myself. But he realizes I'm going to fall. He realizes I'm going to make mistakes. He realizes we're all going to. He also realizes that times we're going to fall, like we said, that aren't necessarily against him. It could be a rejection of the world. It could be something that goes against us that that we don't really understand at the time because we're trying to do our best for him. But at that time, when we get down... There's Satan with his boxing gloves, standing over us, jumping up and down, excited. And the reason is, he doesn't want to just knock us down, he wants to keep us down. He wants us to give up. And I think that's the biggest thing. We can get knocked down, but we can't get knocked out. We've got to keep fighting. But how is he going to look up at us, or how are we going to look up at him, 
crawl over that rope, pull ourselves up, scratch, dig, claw, whatever we have to do to get back on our feet to continue to fight. Because the fact of the matter is, if we keep fighting, he'll give up at some point. If we keep leaning on the Lord, he'll give up. And that's a difficult thing for us to grasp sometimes in, in our difficult times. But he's, not, he's stronger than we are. Let's not kid ourselves. But with God, what else could we need to fight him back with? We have to remember just how strong he is if we're alone. But if we crawl back to God, if we dig down and we do whatever we have to do to come back to him, we can't be stopped. doesn't matter how many rounds. It doesn't matter how many points. It doesn't matter how many poles. We can't be stopped. And I think something that's always been very, very important to me is to think in terms of instead of trying to find your way out of something, find your way through it. Get through it. I think that's so much of a reason why we have so much of a problem with divorce in this country. And one of the examples is because people say it's just, it's just too hard. I'm going to quit. Instead of what do I need to do to keep working? What can I do to make it better? And again, I think the last thing I'll leave you with is, a, is another idea behind this. And it's not how many times you try and fail, but it, when you stop failing to try. I hope this has encouraged you, hopefully, and that this is something that hopefully has touched your heart a little bit. And if there's any needs at this time, we hope that you'll come forward as we stand and sing.